What's going on, guys, and welcome back to episode 14, yes, 14, of our bi-weekly Top Ins Talk episodes. I am your host, as always, Marcin Kazmarski at PLUventino on Twitter with my co-host, Tim Kamarai. Say what's up, Tim. Hey, what's up, everybody? Always at Fujikuti. And what? 14 episodes? That's where we're at right now? 14 bi-weekly episodes, and that obviously is not counting any of the special episodes. So that's not counting our boot camps. That's not counting our uh, fan spotlights. That's not counting our one-off specials for like CR7 or for LBF. So we have more than 20, but it is 14 official bi-weeklies you and me rant episodes. I can't believe that we still have that we're still doing this. Like I, like I don't know. I don't know. I I just kind of I didn't know if people want to listen, but we keep picking up followers and it's really cool and i'm just super stoked about it so my excitement nobody else could see it besides marson right now because i'm like i keep rubbing my hands through my hair and i'm super stoked about this so anyway we got to get to our topics because i'm just gonna yeah Yeah. for anybody that isn't following you can always follow us at top ends talk on spotify or on itunes drop us a follow and then you can get up to the like basically set notifications so whenever we drop an episode like this one you guys will instantly be notified and can even have it saved so that's going to be awesome we have almost i think it's almost 20 hours of content so i mean if you are into literally anything boots fashion (laughs) cr7 (laughs) or just want to listen to me and tim rant we have an epi for you trust me um but let's like you said let's move on to today's episode which is action-packed as always and the first thing we're going to talk about is Kind of something that we knew for a really long time that was coming. It was just kind of inevitable when we would see it. And that is uh, Liverpool being crowned champions of the EPL. Champions, champions, champions. They've been waiting super long for this. Many people thought that they were going to get this last year. I mean, how how could you not get it last year when you were so close? I mean, what I believe they were above 90 points last year as well, Yep, if I'm correct here. I uh, oh man, it's just unbelievable. Good for them, but the question remains, right? So we're we're super stoked for Liverpool for for their championship. Uh, Marson's dad is a Liverpool fan. I myself have always loved Steven Gerrard. I've always loved Fernando Torres. Those were two of the bigger ballers when when I really started watching football. So the real question boils down to now: the EPL record is a hundred points. Centurions are what Liverpool are looking to accomplish right now. In order for them to achieve this record, right now they're on 92 points. They need nine more points, which as us in our footballing brains, of course, look at nine points as three wins because three points a win get you there. However, they only have four matches left. Their four matches left are uh, home at Burnley, away at Arsenal, home at Chelsea, I'm sorry, home with Chelsea, away at Newcastle. Four games, they have to get three wins out of it to break the record. Obviously, they didn't end up getting too great a result when they played Man City. Uh, But since then, they've been looking extremely well. They obviously won uh, 2-0 against Villa, uh, against Brighton. They picked up a 3-1 win. How do we see this playing out for them? I think... They will finish at 101 points, or wait, eight points. Yeah, 101 points. That's that's plus nine. I think they will get the three wins. I think the only game that is questionable is the Chelsea game. To be super honest, I think the other three matches are uh, not straightforward, but it's a lot easier opposition. And Arsenal obviously aren't the um, big boy Arsenal of old. So I mean, I th- I think they're a little bit more suspect. So I think they will get the three wins. Um, they might even get three wins in a draw because, I mean, the Chelsea game is kind of like a toss-up tip for me. So, I mean, they could they could win that game. They could lose that game. They could draw that game. That one's really a toss-up, but I think they will win the other three besides that Chelsea game. And I think they will be the next uh, Centurion team in the EPL. Okay, so I'm going to take the opposite view here. Okay, I don't think they're going to get to 100 points. They haven't, despite winning their next two games... Obviously, they were all out drinking for three days, as as Cesc Fabregas joked uh, via Twitter. 
I don't think they're going to get that Centurion specifically because Arsenal, Chelsea, Burnley, and Newcastle are all clubs that feel as if they have more to lose from losing those games than Liverpool would to win as Centurions. They they kind of seem like they've been playing with their foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, you know, it just doesn't really seem as if they, they were coming back in hot. So for me, I think they're going to fall just short of the mark. I am looking at Liverpool finishing with 99 points and coming in second yet again to City's record mm, of 100 points. A hot take here from Toppin's Talk. As always, we we do love our hot takes, especially from Tim, because he's he's known for full to be uh, full of them. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, so you have Arsenal, who's in eighth place, who they're kind of vying, like kind of like how you mentioned, they're vying with Sheffield United of all teams, uh, <laughs> with, with Tottenham, with Burnley, and with Wolves, kind of for that sixth spot in the league. Because I, I feel like Man United kind of have five, uh, five or four or, or three. Really, any of those three spots are kind of still up in the air. Um, Kind of locked up. So I think from six down through 10, which is Burnley uh, and Arsenal are in that little spot. So they do definitely have something to play for. I'll 100% agree with you. Uh, who else are they playing in, in those four games? Uh, you said Chelsea. And who's the last team? Brighton? Uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle is the only one out of the group that really doesn't have much to play for. I, I, they're going to be mid-table without any European football, regardless of the, the results, really, of the last four games. Um, so Newcastle, I think that'll be, uh, I'm just safely assuming that'll be a win. I, uh, but I feel like the team will get motivated because they know that they are close to that century mark in terms of points. And I think they'll find new motivation in terms of that um, to kind of push themselves for the remaining four games of the season. So that is my opinion. Obviously, we we love having hot takes here, but Tim's is definitely a fun one this time. Well, 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 you know what they say about assuming in football. Don't do it because you'll probably be wrong. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, most of the time, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, you're wrong. So let's let's actually. I think that's enough EPL for us. We are not an EPL podcast. I mean, we're not even really league-specific podcast. However, our roots are in CDA, and CDA of all the leagues has gotten the most interesting. It has to be said. So why don't you, since your team is at the top of the pile? Go ahead and give us a review for the top of the table perspective. I'll do the mid for my for my love, my my beloved Roma, and we'll kind of take a gander at the bottom of the table at some point. <laughs> sure. So, in terms of the standings after match day thirty one, uh, you have Juve on seventy five points in first place. You have Lazio in second place on sixty eight points. At- Atalanta <laughs> in third place on sixty six points. And then Merida at in the fourth spot on 65 points. So basically, we have about 10 points uh, from one to four. Uh, Juve have a nine-point lead over Atalanta and a seven-point lead over Lazio. But the big kind of storyline that kind of Tim was alluding to was the form of the of three out of the top four teams essentially. So you had. Um, Merda, you have Lazio, and you have Juve all dropping points in recent matches, which has been very, um, I'd like to say, not a site that we've really seen too much of this season. Uh, Lazio have only lost five matches. Juve have lost four now. Uh, Merda have also lost four. So, I mean, all these teams are are pretty close within each other. Uh, But it was just a really weird weekend watching three out of the top four teams really drop points. Uh, You had Merda draw against Verona, which was... Honestly, really shocking. I wasn't expecting them to do that. Um, you had Lazio lose to Lecce 2-1, uh, which was yes. obviously hu- yeah, which, <laughs> yes, which is obviously huge for Lecce because that gets them out of the relegation zone and out of the bottom three. So that was massive, massive for them. Um, you had Juve losing to Milan after going up 2-0 and then within six minutes giving up three goals, which it was just catastrophic at like at the very least to say to say that. Um, and then from the prior weekend, you also watched um, Medda lose another game against Bologna, 2-1. So, I mean, you had some some suspect results out of uh, Merda, out of um, out of Juve, and even out of Lazio over the past, like, week. So it's definitely made the top of the table a little bit more interesting. I, for once, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted, I was like, oh, if, if we beat Milan, it's, it's essentially a 10-point lead, and with 
I would say that was kind of like locked and loaded for for the Scudetto to be handed to Juve. But, I mean, seven points, I think, is still pretty tough. I mean, Juve would have to lose three games out of the last seven to really lose the Scudetto, if you you look at it from that perspective. Um, So I think they're still well-positioned to win, and I still think they will edge out the season. I think it's just going to come down to who's vying for spots two through four. Um, because honestly, at this point, you can look at it from any any direction. Like two through four is has a three point separation gap. Um, Merida is obviously not playing well, dropping two uh, two uh, dropping points in two consecutive games. Atalanta is now on a hot streak; they've crept up into third position. Lazio now lost the game, so we're going to see how they rebound in their next fixture. Um, so I think w- any of those spots two through four is definitely going to be a toss-up for the last seven rounds until the end of the season. Where one team finish it, finishes uh, is going to be very crucial for, for, for the UCL. Uh, but obviously, I think the top four is kind of a lock at this point with uh, Roma, who's sitting at fifth, being 14 points back from the number four team. Um, so I think the top four is essentially locked and loaded. It's going to be Juventus, Lazio, Atalanta, and Merda for the top four spots where <laughs> they finish. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying their name. They're a terrible club. Um <laughs> Not even a hot take. That's just facts. Um, <laughs> I, I, we have definitely alienated any Inter Milan fans from ever listening to the podcast at all. So. Yeah, but to be fair, we also did it for uh, for Lazio Mierda. Man, yep. Anyway. Yep. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so top four is basically a lock. It's just a matter of who finishes where at, the, at this point, uh, which is going to be really interesting. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of see this kind of Champions League race and this jockeying for position in the last seven rounds of the season. Um, but I want to kind of push it over to you and, and have you give me a little bit of a rundown about mid-table teams because Roma is kind of, kind of mid-table, upper mid-table at fifth. Because uh, you have a little bit of a tight race with Napoli and uh, AC Milan in sixth and seventh right behind you. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because the way Serie A has been looking recently, they have had the most exciting title race out of the lot. Clearly, it's not even a subjective idea. It's an objective idea. It's just straight up numbers wise looks looks the most interesting. However, it's really also the way you kind of touched on it, taking a shape where it's almost as if the top four have formed their own little island where they're all kind of competing for the best numbers out of that lot. And then from right around fifth to, I would say, seventh between Roma, Napoli and Milan, they are all on their own island as well. I mean, not by not too much. Clearly, you know, Sassuolo is there for, uh, you know, actually, let me say they're six points off of Milan at the moment and only eight points off of uh, Roma Napoli. They've also been having a pretty underrated season. However, between Roma, Napoli, Milan, these three clubs are really shaping up a really exciting Europa League race, I guess I would say. Because it's not as if they're really competing for anything chaotic. You know, it's not as if any of the teams in this league are facing awful financial fair play repercussions the way that cough, cough, Man City might be. Uh, (laughs) However, shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, You know, aside from Milan kind of bowing out of Europa League, but I mean, come on, you know, whatever. But financially speaking, it is still a really big deal because these three clubs are also not in a position dollars and cents wise and euros wise and whatever monetary system you want to throw out there they're not in a way where they can just afford to finish mid-table you know Milan have made some pretty pretty impressive moves in the transfer market Napoli as well two clubs that were really hoping to be pushing higher up the table than they're at right now the interesting thing is that Roma was was kind of I don't want to say we were going into the season with low expectations, but from the way everybody was reacting and the way every news media source was reacting, you would assume we were in 12th place at the moment. And we're really still vying in the top half of the table and doing very well. Of course, since they've come back, they haven't really looked too, too sharp. Contrast that to Napoli and to Milan, who have been looking real hot as they've been coming back in. The reason that we're kind of transitioning it over to me here is because between Roma, Napoli, and Milan, there's only a two-point gap between Napoli and Milan, and Roma and Napoli are you know, set on points with each other. So really tight end for that 
And when you consider the amount of money these clubs have invested in players, it's a really big deal for somebody to get that fifth spot because fifth, in all reality, is going to end up bringing you more money in substantially than seventh place. And when you look at the remaining schedule, pretty fairly even. I would say that Roma have uh, a couple big games in the way of Inter, Fiorentina, and Juve. Uh, to end your season on Juve when you're really pushing for points is rough for any club. But uh, however, that could, also, that could also work in your favor because if Juve have the title locked and loaded by that last match day, then you get a, not say weaker Juve, but you have a team that's already wrapped up the title. They're just essentially running through the gears to finish out that last match. So that could also work in your favor if the title's already wrapped up for match day 38. Yeah, but I feel like Saudi would probably end up wanting to make a point, you know, with with the rest of this season, considering the amount of heat that he's had, you know. Uh, Napoli, however, Milan, Inter, and we're also looking at Lazio ending for them as well. So that's a really tough ending. I would argue that Milan have the easiest ending, which is, of course, they're playing their next game against Napoli, and then they have Atalanta. And then aside from that, not a lot of stiff competition, I would expect them to finish strong. So I love Roma. I want them to finish fifth, but the numbers and the way you're looking at the schedule, you'd have to push for Milan to have a really good uh, end to their season and perhaps push for that top, uh, for that fifth spot. So let, let me ask you this. So the fifth and sixth spots go to the Europa League, right? So right now you have Roma on level on points with Napoli and you have AC Milan two points back of those two teams. So obviously two out of those three teams are going to be playing European football next year. So I know it's, it's tough to say because you are a Roma fan. Uh, uh, can you somehow objectively look at it? And do you have, like, do you think any other, like, do you think, is it going to be like in Roma and Napoli in, in the Europa League next year? Like Roma and Milan, Napoli uh, and Milan. Like, wh- what is your take on which two of those t- three teams is going to be playing in, in Europe next year? My heart? is saying that I want Roma to be in that fifth spot and to see Milan in the uh, in the sixth and to see Napoli sit seventh. No offense to Napoli, but yeah, I, I just prefer Milan a little more there, and I think they have a little more to lose if they don't end up qualifying for some kind of European competition. Uh, however, my brain is saying that this can go any anyway. This can go anyway, and based off of current form, it's not looking good for Roma. You know, it's not it's not looking good for a a side that's really been faulted character-wise recently and how they've come back and mentality-wise approaching it to be in a dogfight the way this this is ending up. You know, this is not something that is going to be taken lightly at the club and they they've really got to make a push to end things properly over there. Yeah, the 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 title race is obviously already kind of up there at the top of the table but i think the more interesting race is going to be that fifth and sixth spot for the europa league um, between those three clubs i mean that's going to be just a lot of fun to watch for sure for sure now the the other exciting part as exciting as it is to win a title it is just as exciting to avoid relegation (laughs) at some capacity there is a thrill when it comes to avoiding relegation we're looking at the bottom of the table here Genoa, Brescia, and Spal, bottom three, right? Spal really looking like they're going to be the bottom of the pile this season. I don't think they're really picking anything up from there. They are only two points away from Brescia, but you know their, their form just really isn't dictating that they're going to make any changes. So mm-hmm. what are we thinking for the other bottom two, assuming that Spal do not pull a miracle out and in the last seven games flip a point difference where they get out of that bottom three so here's here's my thoughts i think spal and brescia are gonna are gonna drop i think those are gonna be uh, like i said unless brescia like really pulls something out and like it really goes on a better run of form i think they will be dropping along with spal to back to the city i be in terms of that last spot i think it's down to lecce genoa maybe sampdoria but i, I just can't see sampdoria dropping that badly that they're into the relegation zone Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to say, I want to keep Genoa up and have Lecce drop. Like Lecce have have conceded the most amount of goals in the league by I think like ten goals over the next team that's conceded the like the second most. 
So the team really pops in, like just lets in goal after goal, which is not a recipe for winning like any or getting any points in, in Serie A. Um, but on the They've flip side... they two more goals than Genoa, though. I know, but they concede 11 more, which is kind of like where I'm getting with that. <laughs> but where I'm going with this is the last match that they played, which was against Lazio. And beating a team that's currently second in the league could be a huge momentum shift and a huge morale boost and a huge confidence boost to, to Lecce, which could now maybe propel them to get a little bit more in terms of favorable results moving forward. So... Honestly, I like I'm really excited just because their next game is against Cagliari, which aren't which isn't like a, a top tier side either in Serie A. So I'm really curious to see how they respond after the Lazio game against Cagliari. Because if they could pick up like a point there, I think they may have definitely turned a corner and, and be on a new like confidence boost wave that'll kind of push them to stay out of relegation, which uh, like like I said, like you and me both know that in football, like one match can can turn a whole season around. Um, and especially for a team battling, like that's that's a huge moment for them to to say, hey, we beat Lazio, like at their place, we we played our game, we won, like let's do, like we can do this, we can we can stay up here for another year at least. Um, so yeah, like uh, honest, honestly, like as much as I want to say Genoa's going to stay up, I I think I'm pulling for Lecce and them to have a little bit of a a turnaround after the Lazio game. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I don't want to have any more discussion about what I'm about to say because it's based entirely off of emotion and not on logic at all. I want Lecce to stay up because they beat Lazio and I don't like Lazio. Two, I want Genoa to go down because they tried beating Roma on Francesco Totti's last game, and that's not acceptable. So those are the only two reasons that I want that. Usually I go to logic and numbers. This time, I'm deciding it off the top of my head with my emotions and what I want and don't want. And that's it. And that's that's all we're going to say about that. And uh, we're going to move to UCL. Uh, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Curtain closing that conversation. Very UCL. Ab- very abrupt change in topic. Very right. abrupt change. It's it's happening. And there's, there's nothing anybody could do about it. UCL, however. Yep or whatever remnants of the tournament that is the UCL that's going to be bizarrely played over the next you know over the next couple uh, couple weeks couple months i uh, looking at that tournament big pet peeve of both of ours we talked about this before the podcast started big pet peeves of both of ours are people that try to predict who's going to win it uh, I know it is a popular media topic, and it's a popular, you know, once the once the final sixteen is uh, is announced, everybody wants to get all in and say, oh, this is this is who's going to win, this is who's going to lose, because the UCL, the beauty of it is anybody could win it. It's it's you need luck. It's it's not something that you could bring an effective squad into because everybody has an effective squad. That's the reason you're in there. Yep. Which is why. I took a little bit of an issue with uh, Mark Ogden's article for ESPN claiming that Juventus are not going to win the UCL. Obviously, Roma are not in it, so I don't really have a dog in you know, or a horse in this race. But for me personally, the moves that you have made recently and the reason that they brought Ronaldo in was, in fact, to win the UCL. They were doing just fine in the league. So aside from some kind of bias... How can anybody decide that that they can't win it? You know, it's you want to talk about a hot take. That's a pretty hot take, you know. And so I'm going to throw this to you because my team's not in this competition right now, so I don't really care so much. So I'm just going to throw this your way. Yeah, I'm going to go for a little bit of a rant. Um, not maybe not a long one, but I'm going to go, I'm going to rant a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, like to, to your point exactly. Like, like yeah, we love doing like these little like round of 16 like brackets and like coming up with our own little like oh who's gonna win who's gonna beat this team who's gonna beat that team it's like fine but we just had a long layoff we've had teams and leagues essentially stop playing for example like leon's not playing psg's not playing and for anybody honestly anybody even if you're a quote-unquote professional analyst like mark ogden (laughs) I, i and i use air quotes as i say that um, to say that, oh, like one team can't win because of another. Sure, like there's there's teams that have things wrong with them in terms of how they play or like their squad isn't set up properly or like they have a hole in their roster somewhere. 
But right now, we're, it's like such an uncertain time. And like we've had a long layoff. And, and like I said, teams are not playing in their leagues. Teams are already done playing. Some teams are still in the middle of their campaigns. And to sit there and say, like, oh, one team has is going to win it over another team, it, I, I just can't see it. That guy's... Like, that's not the take that you kind of want to do right now. I, I feel like this Champions League, out of any Champions League, is probably the most open for any team to go on a run and win it. Like, we could see Atalanta pull off a crazy upset against PSG and then go on a run to the final. Like, we could see that. Like, we could see Leipzig just push through, even though Werner's not playing. Like, we could see Leipzig playing Atletico and just banking their way to the final. I mean, we saw Tottenham do it. We saw Ajax make make a crazy run, all like, in recent years. So... There, there's teams that get hot at the right moment and then they go on a run. And I feel like, especially with this tournament, considering the last, this whole tournament is going to be played within 15 days. So from the round of 16 to the final, it's from August 8th until August 23rd is the final. It's, it's one-off matches. So that that's even that even plays more into like my thought process is like you can't pull a winner out of any of these. I, I know we have some humongous teams. You have you have Bayern, you have Real Madrid, you have uh, you have Juve. You you have all these big clubs in this competition, but in one-off games that are going to be played within two, like the whole tournament is going to play within two weeks, you you can't sit here and tell me, oh, Juve have no shot. Oh, Man City have no shot. Oh, Real Madrid have no shot. Like that's like that's that's just poor reporting on my end. And generally, I don't really like ESPN's articles just because I, I don't think that like their bread and butter, their main focus is like putting out like great football content. Um, that's just my personal opinion. You can like ESPN FC all you want, but I, I just personally don't. I'd rather get my news elsewhere. Um, but yeah, that article kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Not just from a Juve fan perspective, but from a like, like I just mentioned, like any team can go on a run. Like we can watch Barca go on a run and win it. We can watch Real go on a run and win it. And Juve to say they can't win it. Like I mean, hey, their form, like over the last few weeks since they've come back, they've looked pretty good. Like a lot better than they did before the break. Yeah, they had the hiccup against Milan, but to say that they can't win it is absolutely absurd, and I think that's the wrong way to go about it when you're supposed to be a quote-unquote professional analyst. <laughs> As I do hot my air quotes again. Hot rant, hot take, hot rant, air quotes. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got everything on that one. <laughs> so I don't have a lot to say on the UCL because, again, I really don't have a horse in this race. I just want to say that I find it really interesting that they are, in fact, going forward with the tournament on such an abbreviated tactic of hosting the tournament. I totally get it. I really do, you know, for the sake of the investment. And again, I'm just looking at this from not a personal perspective, but really just kind of a football perspective. I do really want to see Juve lift that title. You know, just as aside from being a CDA fan, it's really from a perspective of they're a club that really runs themselves in a correct way, and you know, I I could really uh, see them uh, see them taking care of that. You know, so I I would really hope so. Now I'm going to speak to somewhere where I do have a horse in a race. I'm going to the Europa speak, League. I'm going to speak to the Europa League, which is something that I really never thought I was going to say, but it's okay. I get it. It happens. You know. I, uh, Juventus. Was Honestly, Europe. before before you before you start on on Roma and their Europa League, I looked at the draw for the rest of the Europa League, and there's some pretty decent matches that I'm definitely going to try to catch. Oh in, yeah, in the in the rest for the rest of the Europa League, like there's some really fun matches. Like Roma versus Wolves is going to be definitely one I'm going to try to catch. Like that's an awesome well, game. Well, Roma Roma versus Sevilla first, but I appreciate the confidence on our side. I got uh, confidence. <laughs> But Roma Sevilla itself is a great fixture. I'm looking forward to that. That's gonna be interesting. You know, Wolves are a great side as well. Bayern Leverkusen on their day, good side. Rangers, I don't know if Steven Gerrard's Rangers are gonna really put that much of a trouble to. Uh, probably not. To be fair, Manchester United's probably gonna cruise through theirs. We're looking at Wolfsburg, probably between Shakhtar Donetsk, Wolfsburg, Basel, that's a good, that's or Eintracht a Frankfurt. I'm gonna I'm gonna like those two those 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 two matches. You know they're gonna be they're gonna be interesting. However, you know, for me, I don't and knowing the Roma side that we have right now, aside from Inter, aside from Man United, uh, and ironically, I would probably say, you know, I would probably say Wolves as well. You know, there's not a lot 
of teams that I, I would really put on the same par or even a little above Roma. So for, for me, you know, Roma, Roma, this is your guys' best way to get back into the UCL, realistically. You know, a best case scenario for those three clubs we were talking about before with Roma, Napoli, and Milan is Roma winning the Europa League, in which case they're automatically in the UCL for next season. And if I'm correct, I believe the two other teams would automatically qualify for Europa League at some capacity, or I believe the second team or the team that finished seventh would end up having to do a playoff. But essentially the point that I'm making is it's a win for everybody. Everybody should be rooting for Roma for this tournament. <laughs> Inter, we never really root for it. And that's okay. No. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, as far as, as far as Europa League, there are some juicy fixtures looking on in there. And, you know, again, this is an abbreviated tournament in the same way. So, you know, everybody's looking at Manchester United because they're coming back in hot, but you know, I, I just don't see it that way. I think I think Roma have a good shot as long as they show up to play and Fonseca gets his tactics right. We're we're going to be in a good way. I like it. I I think here's my hot take on this tournament. I think the winner, hot take. I think the winner of the entire Europa League will come out of that Roma Sevilla matchup. You think so? Yeah. That's hot. That is, in fact, a hot take. And, that is a hot take. And I'll believe you and agree with you if Roma won. <laughs> yeah. So before we get on to our next subject, because that pretty much covers league news and you know European news as far as it goes, before we go any further, we have been involved with a very special project with some very special people over at the Official Boots Society on Instagram. So again, if you're looking at them on Instagram, it is at the official boot society, just the same way you would spell it. No special abbreviations, acronyms, anything along those lines. The real important part here is that they are becoming a fast growing cultural hub for football, which is exactly what we try to identify ourselves with. So it is great that that page is being started. It's been started by some dear friends of ours, you know, between the Boot Wizard page. We have Yuli Torres. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy that we that we hang out with. We write a lot with, and you know, it's just wonderful to see people come together at this capacity. I don't think there's a lot of groups like this on social media that are just looking to help people. I just mentioned Yuli before. He did get a discount code through uh, through Royale, who's a wonderful, wonderful cleat and footwear brand, apparel brand as well, and we also do you know a little spoilers maybe for the next episode that we might be doing a little something along the lines with a brand that i actually i'm kind of like in the middle of this statement i'm like should i even say this out loud i feel like maybe i shouldn't you know it just kind of seemed like I'm, I'm building the suspense here so i'm not gonna say it i'm not i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep carrying on with this statement and we're gonna keep it a secret and all you need to know is that you need to follow at the boots the official boot society and we love everybody there Great people, always listen in, and God, I'm just going to keep rambling if you don't cut me off in a second. I'm going to cut you off right now. So, <laughs> plugs aside, let's do our next topic, which is going to talk more about some major storylines of rumored or already completed transfers going around European football. Obviously, the transfer window is going to be a huge talking point, especially with everything going on. So transfers, I think, this this over this next window are going to be even more kind of like scrutinized and looked at to like the nth degree. So we've read about some really cool and some really interesting transfers. Obviously, uh, like I said, some are already completed, and we're just going to give all, like, kind of our thoughts on on that. And then some are just fresh rumors that would we just want to kind of talk about. So I'm going to start off with the Adama Traore to Juve rumor that has been started. You mean the, you mean the tank to, to Juve rumor? Yeah, Juve essentially. Or... That, that man is a absolute unit. unit. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and it's he, funny, enough, he, funny enough you say that because he literally did like a news article and like somebody asked him, they're like, oh, what's your workout regimen? Like, like to like get so big. He's like, I don't lift weights. So that, <laughs> that man is just like naturally massive. <laughs> He is the definition of power through. Yeah, power through for sure. Power through. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. Um, yeah, so Adama Traore to Juve, uh, I believe what I read was that Wolves valued him around like 60 to 70 million uh, euro. That's the valuation that they have on, on Dama. 
but it would not be a cash deal for Adama. It would essentially be a player swap for three players from Juve, and those three players would be Mattia Perin, who's the goalkeeper who's currently playing at Genoa. Uh, it would be Daniele Rugani, who's still on the roster, and then Christian Romero, who is the uh, center back for uh, Genoa. So those three players would essentially go to Wolves, and Juve would get Adama Traore, which uh, I think we kind of briefly talked about this before the podcast, is I think before anything like like COVID would have happened, yeah, like Wolves would have gotten 50, 60, 70 mil easy for them. But with everything that's kind of going on right now, I think they're getting in this deal, and I, I think it kind of makes sense for both teams, is they're getting essentially two starters, because let's let's be honest, like Rugan is going to start as soon as he comes in. Mattia Perin is going to start as soon as he comes in. And Romero's a very promising center back. So essentially you have the future of your center back line and your goalkeeper in a deal. Yes, you're giving up a very electric winger, um, but you're kind of solidifying that 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 heart of the team in, in terms of your center backs and your goalkeeper for the next few years, which I think works out in the advantage for, for Wolves in this deal. So, I mean, I, I, I would be all for it because I would love to have Adama Traore, that unit at Juve. Um, but what are your thoughts on that, on that kind of transaction? So just the way we were talking about it earlier, it is really a look of the fact that this COVID-related scenario has popped in is a huge factor in this deal getting done because generally speaking wolves would are at some point going to have to refresh their team i mean i, I talked about it not too long ago where i said that you know jean moutinho is a wonderful player he's a gem of a midfielder you know and he's just getting a little up there age-wise same thing with uh, rui patricio he's getting a little up there as well age-wise i'm feeling and no offense whatsoever connor cody just he's I mean he didn't even really start his career as a center back he kind of got put back there and you know even when they interviewed him he was kind of like yeah I guess I play center back now and that's cool you know I'm, I'm I'm here for the team the caliber of player that can get brought in for this deal really to your point kind of solidifies that it is a good deal for both ends wolves are gonna have to invest in their future at some point as a club this could really help them force the envelope for that you know Daniele Rugani is an excellent player Padin is, you know, he was starting for Italy not so long ago. And obviously, you know, our, our young friend, that center back as well. Yeah. And, and between all those, it really would work for both teams. What else we were talking about was that this deal is only possible because of how Juve operate as a club and how they operate as a business. And so the fact that they bring in so much talent continually on a, a kind of like a low budget kind of idea. And I say low budget, but it's really just considering the budget. It's not as if they don't have the funds to spend. They're just being very cautious with it. And now they're reaping the benefits. I believe that they are truly the best equipped club to handle this transfer market scenario where you're looking at exclusively swap deals. There's really no other way to look at it. You know, they're, they're stacked with talent. They brought a ton of it in on free transfers and now they're spending big on a couple players and they're swapping out players that they don't need. They are a modern football club in Italy now. Yeah, uh, if, if, if you saw the latest news, obviously the, the Pjanic-Arthur swap um, that happened with Barcelona. So Juve, after that deal, re- reported their highest capital gains over the course of a fiscal year uh, over the last decade, which is a plus 162 million euro. So from that perspective, it shows that Juve have not like like I said, most clubs have been kind of like worried about like saving money and trying to cut costs and do all those kind of things and worrying about kind of fixing their budgets. But Juve seem like like you kind of mentioned, they're they're very prepared in the sense that, hey, we we have a large club. We have clearly money to spend right now so we can bring in those two, three kind of like big time kind of players to kind of help out this roster and push this team for that UCL. But at the same time, we're going to take off any of these players that we don't feel fit the mold of the squad. And we're just going to swap them out for maybe a potential talented player like an Adamatri or, for example, or whoever else they want to look at for, for that future deal. And like kind of like how you mentioned, I think Juve are very well run from like the management point of view that they're very, uh, very conscious about how they spend their money. I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's many deals where I would say that Juve just tossed out money and just threw out cash for no reason. So I, I think the, this deal like that we've kind of mentioned is kind of like typical of what we're going to see from Juve. They're moving on parts of the team like Petty and like Rugani who don't really fit 
the roster, the main roster, which is going to get the consistent bulk of playing time. And they're trying to get that future talent in Adama Trier, who's going to come in and be that kind of like electric guy, um, p- potential starter, kind of like in that Douglas Costa mold. So uh, I'm really excited for, obviously, at being a Juve fan for <laughs> 20 years now, I'm really excited that this is the way that the management has kind of run itself um, because this sets up the club for continued success in the league, and that's exactly what I want. I want more Serie A titles. I want that Champions League. And I think this is the way that a club that has those aspirations should be run. Yeah, and so, you know, I could only agree with you so much on that because kind of taking it to a next level here, Roma are kind of looking at implementing a similar transfer tactic to what Juve had a couple years ago. Because with Roma, they're really looking at bringing in players who are out of contract with great experience. I mean, you look at Pedro just got brought in. You also look at Mkhitaryan just got brought in. Chris Smalling is also, you know, just finalized his transfer just about. And, you know, Chris Smalling is the only one who demanded a transfer fee from his previous club in that, you know, we paid $3 million for him for a loan fee. And on top of that, we're going to pay 17 mil over the course of three seasons. Looking at it from that perspective, I'm very happy Roma are taking that route, specifically because this frees them up financially from, you know, from all the disasters that they've been making recently. You know, no offense, Stephen Anzanzi is a World Cup winning midfielder, but he did not settle in at Roma. Pastore played at PSG for years, did not settle in at Roma. Between the two of them, probably cost the club 60 mil to bring them in. That's 60 mil that could have been invested elsewhere. I'm happy to see them taking that Juve-style transfer approach. And now, with this COVID scenario and these swap deals being all over the place, I believe Roma can make a huge deal for them in the way of Napoli's Arcadius Milik. Arcadius, what a name. What a strong... Beautiful name that should be an aroma kit. And uh, <laughs> Arkadiusz Milik. <laughs> yeah, if you exactly. Say, if you want to say it correctly. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, you know, with him, he's 26 years old. He could be their forward, you know, for at least the foreseeable future. He's he's an excellent talent. And when you look at it, that is kind of the modern club formula: is you get a couple players that are out of contract, you facilitate that with some talent to be brought in. If Roma are interested in swapping Cengiz Under, who is, by the way, being vetted by Napoli. They're really looking heavily into him at bringing him in as a talent. I could really see it being a positive move for both clubs. You know, if Napoli won him, Roma aren't exactly starting him every week. And if Arkady, if how how can you say it one more time? Arkadiusz Milik. <laughs> Bonus points for anybody else who could do it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> They get top points. <laughs> he gets top points. When you look at it, Milik is is a forward that would really suit Fonseca's style. He's a very active forward, great player. I would be happy to see him. You know, I'd be happy to see him at the club. So, you know, I, I would really like to see this new Roma approach of signing players that are out of contract to be associated with bringing in, you know, it's a, it's a spend big. Zeko is doing a wonderful job this season. He's getting so much hate that he doesn't deserve. And, you know, from there, it's it's really a case of getting uh, getting your new future sorted out. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Kyle Hohn looks like on, he's on his way out, not renewing his contract at Napoli, which is why they need another kind of like winger-esque player, which is where the under rumors uh, have kind of started. And obviously, Milik has already said, that he will not be re-signing a contract. And I believe one of the directors at Napoli already confirmed that he has told them that he would like a new challenge or a new adventure at another club. So it definitely looks like Milik will be a player that will be on the move, whether that's to Roma. Uh, obviously, he had some links to Juve, and uh, those still are, are, are uh, pretty precedent. So, I mean, we'll see where he ends up. But I want to shift the topic a little bit over and talk about something that kind of influences you a little bit more since you're a coach and that's the player coach relationship uh with this next transfer rumor and that is james rodriguez moving to everton fc so obviously for those that don't know everton fc is coached by the one and only carlo ancelotti and of course uh for those also that don't know uh, james rodriguez loved playing under carlo he was uh, i believe he said that he was one of his favorite coaches that he ever worked with they just had a great relationship together 
So the Hames uh, to Everton rumors kind of sparked the debate is how uh, how much do coaches really influence on these tactics and do do players really move to clubs just to play under a specific coach? And obviously I wanted to get your your thoughts on on this move because you are a coach. So take it away. Yeah, so for myself specifically, I really notice that players who bring an excellent attitude often have positive relationships with their coaches. However, not even from just the coaching perspective, but as somebody who's played the game, you do know that you're not going to hit it off with every coach that you play under. And the best thing that can happen is that a coach that you do hit it off with is a successful coach and wants to bring you from point A to point B with them. So this is not the first time that uh, you know that that Hannes has been linked with a club that Ancelotti's at because he was linked to Napoli as well when Ancelotti was there, and he obviously couldn't he didn't get a chance to bring him in. Now Everton have more money as a club; it is entirely more probable that Hannes could go there. However, the fact that Ancelotti is interested in him really helps the case because aside from that, if you had an English coach that only vetted English players, which I know sounds a little harsh, but if you are somebody who's played in the English system and was coached in the English system for a very long time, you're going to specifically fancy playing with and having English players on your team. It's just the way that it works, and that's all right. However, with Carlo, the big perk and the reason that as a coach it always works out for you is if you have that point A, point B relationship with somebody where you know that they'll, that they'll work hard for you, you don't mind taking the risk of bringing them in the club. Hannes has not been playing very frequently at Madrid. He's had kind of a, a, a hellish time at the club. It's been really rough for him. So speaking as far as football goes, this is a brilliant example on how you know having a good relationship with a coach can get you places because otherwise I don't see how a move to Everton would have formulated for him. Yeah, so he's, he's definitely going to, I think have a good relationship with, with the coach. And kind of like to your point, I think it's super imperative that you have, um, that, that your coach wants you there, that you feel that want as a player when you're when you're transferring to clubs. So I think to right out of the gate, knowing that, hey, Carlo Ancelotti wants you here. He wanted you at Naples before. You had a great time working with him at Real Madrid. I think that's just going to spell, uh, especially, essentially be uh, as much success as you can from the background of it for James. And then it's up to him to obviously put in the performances on pitch, but everything off pitch, it looks like he's going to, he's wanted at the club. He's wanted by the coach and he's going to be implemented into their project, into their system. So at that point, if this transfer does go through, it's up to him to really put in, because he has the support. He has that system in place to really make him succeed at the team. Yeah. So, in you know, that aside, let's actually talk and kind of change gears here for a second why don't you go off for a bit on the Sané transfer to Bayern? Leroy Sané being given to Bayern. I said given because it's a given. It's nuts the amount of money they got him for. So why don't you talk on that for a bit? Sure. So, yeah, if, for those that don't know, um, Leroy Sané has left Man City or will leave Man City at the end of this current campaign, and he'll be joining Bayern. Uh, the, the transfer fee that was quoted for him, was roughly about 45, 50 mil, uh, which if you think about it, I, I believe last year it was reported that Man City were were rejecting offers of close to like 85, 90, 100 mil for, for Leroy Sané. So a year later, for, obviously he had a, had a very serious injury, but still the talent is there. And I, I think he's still a world-class player and one of the best wingers in, in the EPL. So to, for Bayern to get him for sub 50 mil I think is is such a steal and kind of like to your point how you said that that he was basically given to Bayern uh, I just think it's 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 essentially it's theft I mean Bayern get another young German talented winger to add to their collection uh, obviously they have Kinsley Coman and Serge Gnabry they're already already at the club and they're fantastic wingers but now you're adding another guy um, like Leroy Sané to that team it's it's just gonna spell another Bundesliga title, I think, for for Bayern Munich next year. I I just can't see any other team kind of really being there now to compete with them. Um, I mean, you just think about that left side. If whoever starts on that left, you have Alfonso Davies, who's gonna play left back, and then you have Nabri, you have Coman, you have Leroy Sané playing on that left, and whoever doesn't play on their left can can go on the right, and all those guys are gonna be feeding the ball to Lewandowski who's showing essentially no signs of slowing down, actually signs of speeding up. 
So I just think um, this this Sane transfer is just brilliant business by Bayern. They they're I think for the most part with their larger transfers, they always just hit the nail right on the head in terms of not overspending for talent. And I mean they've they've been another team that has this great model of being able to bring in players on free transfers like Lewandowski, for example, because a lot of people forget he was free for Bayern. Um, just great business. And and they're another team that I think is very well run from a transfer and management perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when when you look at them, and I think you hit the net, like I, I can't really think of anything else to add in that, in that statement, really aside from the fact that they are comparable to Juve in the way that they run their club. However, on an, on a last note on that one, I do believe Juve are still more poised to do better this transfer window than Bayern are, specifically because Bayern, although they do pick some players up on a free here and there, they do tend to overspend every once in a while where they'll really splurge on a player. And, and when I say splurge on a player every once in a while, still at a higher frequency than Juve has. So, True. you know, so that's really, really how I would see that scenario of course, and concluding that transfer piece, we're going to go on to underrated players that we feel, and that's going to kind of be one of our last subjects here, but speaking of underrated, underrated brands, and Marson's smiling at me right now because that was the smoothest transition he's ever seen in his life. Since 1927 FC is a brand that we work closely with because Joe over there is a wonderful wonderful businessman he of course had introduced or had been introduced to us by his charitable actions for his brand and helping when in response to this whole covid scenario we did have him on the on the roma fans uh you know fan spotlight and we can't just speak highly enough of them and they did just release a new collaboration project and you do want to check it out there at since 1927 FC on Instagram. Give them a look. Really cool projects that they're working with right now. We love working with them. Joe, if you're listening right now, we can't get enough of your guys' material. Please keep producing more. Yeah. And uh, I, like, like like Tim said, I, I can't... I, there's nothing for me to add on top of that. Like you, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. So let's move it over to our last topic for today's epi. And that is going to be top three underrated players so how we're how we did this is essentially you could pick any three players from any leagues in world football so it doesn't matter if it's the chinese super league the epl or the mls it's not going to be the mls spoiler alert oh, um, shots blood. fired shots fired <laughs> hot takes so, hot takes everywhere hot takes everywhere yeah, but yeah, how, we decide, <laughs> how we decided to do this was we picked one uh each of us picked three players and one player per position category. So essentially one forward, one midfielder, and one uh, defender. Sorry, goalkeepers for today. Um, yeah, sorry, so, James. <laughs> sorry. Um, so I'm going to have you. Let's do uh, start off with you, and you can give me your forward and why you selected him as your underrated forward. Okay, so my underrated forward is somebody who was highly rated some time back and has kind of fallen off of the radar, but is still producing at a pretty good level. And that is Andrea Bellotti. So Bellotti plays for Torino, for those who aren't aware, in Serie A. A while back, he was a real hot commodity. He was popping in goals left and right. And then things kind of slowed down for him for, for a couple reasons that I'm not going to get into because that's not really part of this segment. Uh, but, you know, as far as it goes with Bellotti, Torino, his club, have only scored, I believe, 30, it's either 32 or 34 goals this season. Not really the highest turnaround. And he has 14 goals to assist on the season, which means he has been involved directly with 16 goals. And I actually didn't get a chance to see if he had set up any assists further beyond that. So crucial, crucial player to his team. If you take his goals away, Generally speaking, Torino are, are not recovering from that. There's no way possible. He has been their talisman for this season. He's been their talisman for previous seasons as well. He's an underrated player for me, and I really hope he gets a big move soon. So that is my striker. That is my forward position, fella. How about you? What are you looking at? Okay, so I'm going to take a page out of... If you listen to our previous episodes, we did something along the lines of like, uh, underrated players or like top playing players in the Bundesliga. I think we did this episode sometime late January, if I remember correctly. And I said this man's name back then. 
and I'm going to repeat this man's name today, and that is Woot Weghurst, who can you, plays... Can you repeat that one more time? I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name correctly, <laughs> but it's either Woot or Wout Weghurst. The reason you were saying it was because nobody else can. <laughs> I know, right? I'm, I'm the king of, of trying to, as closely as possible, get foreign names right. Um, but yeah, this, this guy, A, is a unit. He is very tall, very big dude. Uh, but this Dutch striker, that's obviously the position I'm going with, uh, plays for for Wolfsburg. And the reason why I'm picking him as the underrated kind of like striker for my squad is this guy in 30 appearances uh, this season has 16 goals and three assists. So that is 19 goal contributions, 19 goal contributions for a team that has scored 48 goals uh, this year in Wolfsburg. So he's almost been um, he's been involved in almost forty percent of all the team's goals this season. Forty percent, which obviously you think hey, a strike is it, it's going to be like that. Those numbers are, are expected, but this guy is just above and beyond, just doing a, a fantastic job. He's uh, in the top two in terms of aerial duels one in the league, which is uh, if you see his size, like he at least six four. Not very surprising. It's not surprising, surprising at all. Statistics. Yeah, he, <laughs> but he averages four point one aerial duels one like per match, which is absolutely absurd. So this is definitely one of those kind of guys where you just hoof it up to him, and he's gonna knock it down and and, and bang one in. Um, on top of that, he's also scored an additional two goals in the League Cup and an additional two goals, two assists in the Europa League for Wolfsburg. So he's been consistent throughout in terms of his play. Uh, just been an absolute unit of a forward. Like, and we I, love I can't the unit. Say, yeah, we love the word unit. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just been a, a fantastic forward and just done some great work in terms of uh, being that old school type of number nine player of just like throwing it up to him and he's going to chest it down, knock it down for you, and then just banging those goals as a poacher in the box. So uh, Woot Weghorst is definitely my pick for the underrated forward. Okay, okay. So I'm actually going to have you just go go ahead and give me your underrated midfielder as well. Okay. Well, I I think you want me to do that because you're you're you know already who my underrated midfielder is, and it is none other than Roma's own Lorenzo Pellegrini. Um, hey, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, t- Tim already knew that that I was picking Pellegrini as mine. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Pellegrini's have had a great year. He had he missed a little bit of time in terms of games. He's only played in 21 Serie A games out of the 31 available. Uh, but when he's played, I think he's just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I mean, he's third in the league be- behind, uh, I believe, Luis Alberto and Papu Gomez in terms of assists. He's got nine uh, assists, while Papu Gomez and Alberto have a couple more. But to do that in 10 less games, uh, to have a passing percentage over... Uh, 82%. I, I think it just shows exactly that this guy's got poison in midfield. He can he can dish out a, a, a perfect ball and like he he's a great like uh, facilitator of the offense. So uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini has is definitely my vote for the uh, underrated midfielder. Obviously Roma being as high as they are, I don't think they could have definitely done it without Pellegrini's help. He's done a fantastic job of being that kind of like rock in that midfield and just being a very good creative force and just like I said, just being able to find and pick out those passes. I, I think he's, he's fantastic. Also, his work on set pieces. Um, so, yeah, Lorenzo Pellegrini definitely gets my vote for uh, underrated midfielder in this category. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't. <laughs> I, I'm not going to disagree with you on anything you just said. I think he's crucial. But I definitely want to give some kudos to a player who may be on some people's radar, may not be on some people's radar, in James Ward-Prowse. James Ward-Prowse is a player for Southampton, for those who aren't aware. He is, I believe currently he's still at the U23 level for, for England, or he might be a U21 player. I'm not entirely sure right now. He's been at Southampton. He's been starting for Southampton for seasons, for a couple seasons now. He And the thing about his game, and the reason I believe he's an underrated midfielder, is because... He's one of those players where he's not going to have the goals and assists tally really describe what he does. The amount of ground he covers, the amount of tackles that he goes into, his passing, it's really the, you know, he's really the glue that brings together that Southampton team. 
you'll notice that if he's not on the pitch, they really don't have much going forward. And that's just because of how crucial a player he is to their battle strategy. I do believe that Southampton are are very clearly above the relegation zone at this point. However, with all the hype around James Madison, with all the hype around Jack Rillish, I personally cannot see a reason besides a numbers game of why James Ward-Prowse has not been linked with a bigger club than Southampton. He's a magnificent baller. I personally, for one reason or another, he was linked to Roma. I would be a very happy camper, I think. CBA technical style. He has engine and he's an absolute baller. I can't speak highly enough of him. And that is my take for my midfield underrated player. Okay. So I'm going to let you kick it off like you did to me before. And I'm going to give you your opportunity to give me the underrated defender for you. Uh, so uh, how about I'm actually going to send it back your way? I want your defender first. Oh, damn. Yelling at me here. All right. So my underrated mid, uh, defender, excuse me, is going to be none other than Lucas Digne, who plays left back for Everton. So a lot of people are going to give like be wondered like why why is he the underrated one? I mean, he's played for PSG, he's played for Barcelona, he's played at Roma, he's played for at Lille. So uh, Digne has played for very good clubs throughout his entire career. But at the times that he spent at all those clubs bar one year at Roma, he hasn't really been a starter long-term. At Lille, he, he spent uh, two years at Lille, played 49 matches, which isn't really starter numbers. I mean, it's close, but it's not there. Uh, he played for three seasons at PSG, only played 30 matches. It's basically a, a reserve role at, at PSG. He was loaned to Roma for one season. There he played almost week in and week out, 33 appearances. Uh, then he was uh, then he made a transfer to Barcelona for two years, where he played only 29 games over that two-year span. Same thing, reserve role. And then last year he moved to Everton, so this is his second year. And in two years he's made 66 appearances. Um, just been an absolute unit in terms of like his play week in and week out. Um, the main reason why I'm putting him in the most underrated is because of his play, especially this year. He's really, I think, in my opinion, taken off and become one of the better left backs in world football. Uh, he, he's got seven assists and 31 appearances. And the only people that have more assists in the league than him currently are Adama Traore, are Mo Salah, uh, is Trent Alexander-Arnold, and Kevin De Bruyne. So it shows you what kind of company he's in. And he's a left back. So remember, he's he's playing out wide. He's playing. He also has a lot of defensive uh, opportunities that he has to kind of take care of. So for him to do that and still have the energy and kind of like the drive to push himself forward, and rack up seven assists in 31 games, is just shows you what his attacking capabilities are. Uh, he's really good at winning aerial duels, like winning headers and, and things along that lines. Even though he's not the tallest, I believe he's only about five nine. Um, but he, like I said, same thing like I mentioned with Pellegrini, his key passing, his crossing, and his, and his set pieces are absolutely phenomenal. And he's just been a great uh, great kind of like guy to like throw into that Everton lineup and just like you know what you're getting. You're, you know you're getting a really good performance out of your left back almost week in and week out. Uh, so Lucas Digne is definitely making it as my uh, defender that is the most underrated. Very fair point. He played in a Roma shirt, so I can't root against him. Thumbs the rules. I don't make the rules. Thumbs the rules. So my defender is an out-and-out defender. I know you love forwards, and I know you love people who get the goals and assists. However, I want my defenders to be defending. And very few young, promising center backs defend in such a solid way that a underrated young Swiss man has in Nico Elvedi. Nico Alvedi is a wonderful center back. He plays in Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is a mouthful. And you say that five times fast, and then uh, something German appears. I, I lost the joke completely while I was making it. Anyway, uh, Nico, wonderful center back. The impressive thing about Nico is that he's actually a crucial part of the defense in Mönchengladbach, where they actually were, they were the... They conceded the third least amount of goals in Bundesliga. And he actually ended the season with the highest pass completion percentage out of any player. So not even just defenders, any player. He has the highest completion defense, uh, percentage, which is incredible 
for a young player of, of, you know, of his age and his position to have that much, you know, to have that much composure on the ball and to be able to play the way he does. I wouldn't be surprised if a big club doesn't come knocking for him within the next couple months to, uh, you know, to a year. So he is my last defender. And if he is my last defender, then that means we've concluded this segment. And that means that this, my friend, this episode is over. Uh, this, this is the end. <laughs> well, as always, we've had a absolute blast doing another epi for you guys. I hope you guys enjoy the content that we've kind of put out for you t- for you today. Uh, in terms of me and Tim, I'd like to obviously let you guys know to give us a follow on at Top Talk on either Spotify or on iTunes. Follow the at Top Talk page on Instagram, which we're obviously trying to make a big push for in terms of our media present. Uh, presence or you can follow us at top talk underscore on twitter uh obviously you can always follow me at plu ventino on twitter at all times so i'm always there for you guys in terms of uh questions comments concerns anything you guys want to do if you want to be a guest on a future episode by all means shoot me a message or if you have any topics that you'd like us to cover in future episodes or any fun segments you'd like us to do by all means shoot either me or tim a dm and we'll try to get that uh going for you guys tim say goodbye to the folks I'm saying goodbye, and I'm at Footy Kuji, but don't reach out to me for anything. Only reach out to Marson. He's the only one that gets back to people. I will I will leave you on red by accident, and uh, and it's it's not on purpose, and I'm sorry in advance. Uh, unless you're a Roma fan, and then you talk to me about something Roma-related, and then it's got my complete undivided attention. So peace out. See you guys later. And episode 14 out. Peace out, guys. Into the next one. Later.